0: hey well good morning yeah it's good to see you at all Um, but um, i i don't know i i was so excited to be here with you guys today and um, i i am i will be here this afternoon for your is it are you calling it a barbecue tailgate sorry tony told me that uh tailgate party i'll be here and my family um i think we'll be here I'll explain that in a couple minutes, but um, yeah, I was really excited to be here with you guys, and I I just wanted to say a couple things before. We're going to be in Luke. um, We kicked back into that last week with Steve, and uh, we're staying in the series. Oh, man, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for not, like, splashing it over me. Um, But um, we're back in the study in Luke, but I just wanted to say... um, I guess I'll speak on behalf of the elders um, and maybe Tony and I. But can I just say thank you guys? Um, You have been so gracious to Steve and to Nadia and to care for them, as I would hope any congregation would for their pastor. And um, it's been obviously you guys know better than anybody uh, how hard and difficult this decision was for them. And uh, I just wanted to personally thank you for your grace and your love and concern for them as they're doing what they feel like, you know, God wants them to do. And as we go forward, I just want you to know, like, we are working really, really hard. Um, You deserve to have a pastor that will love you the way Steve has loved you, um, to care for you, and to be here long term. And those things are not optional. So but having a lot of intentional conversations and things like that, I just want you to know um, our desire and uh, we will do our very best to find a pastor who will be here with you for the long haul. And that is just not optional. You deserve that and um, trust that in that process you'll continue to be even gracious with whoever that person is but um, or will be. But in the meantime... We're together in this, and um, we're moving forward one day at a time. Uh, I would love to just have a conversation right now, but I can't. I got to teach, but I'm I'm gonna come back this afternoon, and we will hang out and uh, chat. Love to hear how you guys are doing. But I just wanted to say thank you for being so gracious. And um, frankly, I think it shows your maturity and um, to love on to love them the way you have, and so. Anyways, for whatever that's worth. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Uh, we're going to pick up where, where Steve left us off last week. And Luke chapter 10. And what we've seen is, um, we've seen Jesus send out um, a specific number, 72 of his disciples. And he is, if we look at our puzzle box here, we look at Jesus going to Jerusalem, where we know he's going to die. We know that because we have the full story here um, up to this point. We're not at that point in the story, but he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's told his disciples he's going to die. Nobody else really knows that yet. At least the 12 apostles knows that. But he has shown and revealed and expressed God's goodness and love to the broken world. And one of the ways in which Luke defines that is calls it the poor. Um, So those people that are economically poor, but also just poor in spirit and mindset. But now we're in this next section. In 951, he turns his face towards Jerusalem. And what we're going to see is he's bumping shoulders with a bunch of people that would not have been classified as poor or oppressed in that culture. In other words, they are the rich. And he's bumping shoulders with them. And so he's expressed God's kingdom ways, the goodness and love of God, Uh, towards the poor and oppressed and those held captive. And now we're going to see him teaching more about the kingdom ways um, with those that would not be classified as those types of people, which, if we're really honest, would be more like bumping shoulders with you and I. And so this section of Scripture uh, kind of speaks to us in a different way. But one thing that I want to make sure we understand is these disciples have gone out ahead of Jesus they have trusted that Jesus, what Jesus said to do was right and good. They have trusted God to provide for them. And they come back with one experience. Luke tells us that they came back and had the experience of joy. That their experience of being moved out by Jesus, trusting God to provide as he they embraced the ways of Jesus, their experience was joy in that. And and one of the things that um, I think is, is interesting in this section is that we kind of are faced with this reality that the joy of being a Christian is not really found in what we say we believe or what doctrinal statement we say we adhere to. The joy of following Jesus and being a Christian is actually experienced in the implications of actually following through with what we say. And that's what we've seen in the disciples. And so when we when we look at this, um, the the disciples come back and their their understanding is more than theory. That their true life, Jesus has promised true life if you embrace His ways. He's promised that they've embraced those ways, and now they have the joy. And so one of the ways that we've talked about this a number of times is that. Oftentimes we know just enough about the Bible to feel really guilty. We haven't gone far enough with Jesus to experience the joy. And Luke's revealing and kind of giving us insight into these nuances. Now, one of the, I've talked about the previous section of Luke in a number of different ways as Jesus expressing the love of God into the broken realities of the world. But one of the ways that I've done that, and I'll show this to you this morning, is through this kind of a triangle of the kingdom. Um, It's a one-way street. So this is just a way to think about this. So you have the good news of God, that God is good, that God is loving. And through Jesus, that goodness is being expressed into the broken realities of the world. And at some place, you could hit rock bottom or fall through it, right? Um, And Jesus is kind of coming to those people that have kind of fallen through it. Those poor, oppressed, held captive by something. We all can identify with that in some way. We're all held captive from the true life Jesus promises in some ways. And so Jesus is expressing the goodness of God into the broken realities of the world. And then people start to see the beauty of that. Wow, God is good. God is loving. He is freeing some of these things. He is expressing his original desires. And the more people were exposed to that goodness, they started to follow him. Wow, wow. Your ways are good, they are beautiful, and the more that they followed Jesus, the more they were experiencing how the good news was, was affecting their own life, and then that moved them into carrying the kingdom way back into the broken realities. The disciples just experienced that. They have followed Jesus, they've experienced the goodness of God, and the love of God going into the broken areas. They have gone out and carried that, and their experience was joy true life as jesus promised now last week we ended the study with jesus looking at his disciples and saying you are blessed to see what you have seen what did they see well they saw this they experienced this they went into homes and they they expressed the goodness and love of god and they came back and had joy and jesus says you are blessed Because you have seen, experientially, that reality. Now, this is where Luke um, doesn't change the scene. But the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples privately is uh, interrupted abruptly. It's just interrupted. And so, what what we see is, is actually um, this lawyer approaching and all of a sudden just interrupts this conversation that Jesus is having this sweet moment. You guys are blessed for experiencing and seeing what I'm telling you this kingdom way is about. And then this lawyer pops in. Watch this. We pick up the chapter and twenty verse 25. Here's what Luke tells us. Jesus does some fascinating things here. And one of the fascinating things that Jesus always does is focused how we th- think about life with him. And we see that here. Verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So... This great conversation. You guys have experienced this joy. This is awesome. You're so blessed to see this. And a lawyer steps up to test Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, by the way. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Okay, so you're a lawyer, so what's written in the law? How do you look at it? Now, the law is not the law of the land of Caesar. It's the Old Testament law, which was the central part of Jewish life um, and God's people. It's a central piece. And so it's really the first five books of the Old Testament would be the law. Um, But when, 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 when Jesus is referring to the law, he's referring to this to a lawyer who knows that the law has been dissected a thousand times over, right? So you have it broken down to 613 laws. You have positive and negative laws, right? 365 negative, 248 positive. You have uh, light and heavy laws. You have it all dissected thousands of times over. And you also see this law being uh, addressed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Or the Pharisees, these religious leaders, come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest thing I need to do in the law? What does the law tell me to do the most? And Jesus responds with this section of scripture known as the Shema. The Shema is in Deuteronomy chapter six. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may be familiar with that section. But the Jewish had viewed this section to, as, a, as a as a kind of a hallmark of faithfulness. If you go to Israel today, you go into an elevator. Likely they'll have a mezuzah in the elevator. It's a little wooden box, and inside that box is a scroll. ...of the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6... ...on every doorpost of a Jewish person's home... ...at least the front door... ...if not every door except for the bathroom and the kitchen... ...because those might be viewed as unsanitary... The, the, ...the religious people of the law... ...would have... Um, ...the Pharisees at the time... ...would have worn these bags called the phylactery... ...they kind of wore them around their forehead... ...and then in their armpit area... ...and in that bag was the Shema... ...they recited the Shema before they prayed... ...every single time... And so the, the Pharisees, the religious people, would make those bads bigger and bigger and bigger to make it look like they were more righteous or faithful or something. So all that to say is that the Old Testament law was viewed as kind of this hallmark to faithfulness. And so Jesus responds to them and says, like, hey, uh, in Matthew twenty they're asking him, what's the greatest thing I need to do? What does Jesus say? Not with what they should do, but actually who they should love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a critical distinction that Jesus brings into the world. Not with what you do, but who you should love. And so here's what happens. that Jesus says, what, what, how do you read this law? And here's how the lawyer answers it. Watch this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now what's interesting to me is, is that the lawyer seems to be thinking about the law the same way Jesus thinks about the law. And it has less to do with what you do or don't do and much more with who you love. So when these Pharisees, religious leaders, come to Jesus and they say, what's the greatest thing I need to do? He responds not with what they do, but who they love, who they direct their love towards. The lawyer seems to understand the core of the law. Ah, He quotes the Shema. Now this is a critical distinction that Jesus brings into the world because if God is good and God is loving, and you and I are created in His image, that means at least two things. One is, uh, I'm loved. We are loved beings. And secondly, we will always love something. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We're always going to love something. God is a relationship. Father loving Son, Son loving Father, Holy Spirit communicating that love. So we're going to be relational, and we're going to always love something. So Jesus, knowing this, it makes sense that he breaks down the do's and don'ts of the law, not into what you do the most of, but how you direct your love. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, this is one of the most freeing truths that I have missed for many years of my Christian life. That perspective, because I was wrapped up in, for so long of thinking about the Christian life as what I did or did not do versus thinking more deeply and actually seriously about sin with thinking about it in such a way of saying, actually, it's who I love. It's freeing when I saw that perspective. Jesus has a way of changing perspective. I I try to um, practice this with my daughters. If you don't know this, I have three girls. You likely meet them today. Um, And I say likely only because last night at around 2 o'clock, I heard this huge crash. And then my five-year-old daughter starts to cry. <clears throat> and it sounded like, I guess she, I, I'm like, she fell off her bed, but it actually felt like, sounded like she jumped off the ceiling. Like it was this, she weighs all but 30 pounds. And she, this huge crash, and she's crying. So I start to get up. I said to my wife, I go, she fell out of her bed. My wife is beating me out of the room, right, and gets to the room before I do, so I just kind of hold back. And she's laying down with Selah, and Sayla is crying and, and uh, obviously just, you know, a wreck because she's half asleep, and she fell off her bed and whatever. It must have been a crazy dream because uh, it sounded like she jumped off the roof. And she just has a twin bed. I mean, it's a twin bed. Twin. So <clears throat> I call back in bed, and then she's like inconsolable. So I it's like, well, I'll go help. So I go in there, and I kneel down by her bed. And I'm talking with her. And mommy's laying on the other side. And I'm just talking with her. I prayed for her. And I'm trying to get her to calm down. Well, I go back into bed. uh, And she's still crying. Comes into our bed. Barbara brings her into my bed. um, Our bed. It's not mine. Ours. Um, And uh, she's laying there. She's quiet. And then she starts to whimper. And I go, baby, you doing okay? She goes, it hurts. I go, what hurts? She goes, my chin. I go, okay. So I said, Barbara, can you turn on the bathroom light? Turns it on, and there's this huge gash. Massive. She has a twin bed. Twin. I'm like, what did you, what happened? Like, a massive gash. Blood everywhere, like everywhere. Barbara didn't see it because it was pitch black in her room. But I'm like, what in the world? So then she starts to go, is there blood? And then she just loses it. Right? So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to, like, protect her mind. So I, I get her in the bathroom, and I'm looking at her eyes. I like, go, oh baby, you're going to be okay. And you can see her disposition change. I'm trying to get her to think about this a little differently so I could get some sleep. Right? <laughs> and, but there's this massive gash. So we go there, and I, I don't know. I, I'm just, you're trying to manage the moment. But to try to get her to think about this a little different, settle down, I need her to sleep. Barbara took, was actually I was driving here this morning, I called and they are getting some suture and some glue and whatever. But I'm I, I, this this way of Jesus, of taking one way of thinking about things but then spinning it from what you do to who you love is critical. Um, I try to practice that process that kind of discipline with my girls. A few months ago, I was standing at this stoplight with my daughter, Karis. Karis is 12, and we're walk- looking across the crosswalk, and it says, don't walk, right? You've, you've seen this before? So I, I I just messing with her. So I go, Karis, what do you think that means? She goes, what? I go, the sign. She goes, well, it says don't walk. And I go, yeah. What do you think that means? She goes, What? It means don't walk. Like, what are you talking about, right? And I go, I go. I know, but if you don't walk, then what what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what should I do? She goes, you stand here, Dad, and it's going to change. It's going to say walk. And I go, well, how do you know it doesn't mean run? She goes, oh, like it was one (laughs) of those moments, right? (laughs) I'm just messing with her, but I'm trying to help her see that you can think about things a little bit differently, you know? Uh, Anybody Korean here? korean not one person awesome oh you are so you you know uh korean age i didn't see who wrote yeah you know how korean age works you don't so have you are you just an american citizen or were you born in korea okay well one thing you'll find out about me is that i like to research really weird things uh i get lost in like research at night um and uh Korean age is interesting. So if you ask somebody that lives in Korea, maybe exposed to the United States, and you ask them how old they are, they'll often say, do you want my Korean age or my American age? Have you ever had somebody ask say that? Okay. what Why that is, is because when you're born in Korea, you are one. And then on January 1st, you have a birthday. Right. So like, you could be born December 1st, and then January 1st, you're two. Right? So... Do you want my Korean age or my American age? It's kind of a crazy way of looking at it, but they look at it differently. Anyways, I'm getting off track. So anyways, the reality is, is that this lawyer actually, though, seems to be thinking about the law the same way Jesus is, more deeply than do's and don'ts. But there's a distinction. There's a difference because there's a, even though the lawyer articulates the heart of the law, the loving God and loving your neighbor, there's, there's a difference between saying truth and then moving over to this place of embracing it. And that sometimes can be a huge gap. So just because we're thinking about things the same way doesn't mean that the lawyer is actually doing it. And this seems to be where Jesus is going with this. Because he says, you've answered correctly, do it, and you will live. In other words, you have to move from just regurgitating it to actually doing it to experience this thing called life. Like true life. You have to move. Now, that gap is huge for many of us in most situations according to the Scripture, right? We're all trying to figure it out. But the reality is, is when, we, when we, we try to move this, we can get really creative on how not to move from just saying the right things to doing them. <laughs> and one of the ways that we could do that is we could just ask all the questions. We just keep asking questions. Because if I can ask all the questions, I'm accountable for nothing. So I'm always learning. I'm always not understanding. I always have something to learn and ask and question and all this stuff. So now I don't actually have to do anything. That's one of the creative ways that we can do that. And that's actually what the lawyer does. Watch this. Verse 29. But he, Jesus says, okay, you answer correctly, now go do it. But the the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because if I can keep asking questions, I'm not accountable for anything. So okay, so well, who's my neighbor then? Well, it's fascinating because uh, realizing this that G- that this guy's just justifying his lack of action, uh, Jesus responds in my mind brilliantly. What? Watch this. Verse thirty. We'll pick it up. It says this. Jesus replied. A man going down from, sounds like a bad joke. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, that doesn't sound like a good, bad joke, but a horrible situation. Now, this is where, now by chance, a priest, a Jewish priest, a faithful Jew, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, somebody that would have held to this Old Testament law, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend. I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus is asking, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So a few fascinating things in this passage. And there's the way Jesus addresses the situation. Okay, if you ask all the questions, you're accountable for nothing. So let me, let me tell you this little story. Tells him the story. What does Jesus do? Well, a few fascinating things. One is, is, he uses a Samaritan, the least likely to be deemed as faithful for a Jew, as the faithful one. So that's amazing how he switches the perspective. Jesus is fat, so good at picking the least of these to kind of be the example for us, right? Remember, remember that in your high school yearbook where you had the most likely to succeed, right? And at the time you're like, yeah, yeah, that's probably right. And then you go to your 25-year class reunion and you realize that everybody else is doing so well in life. <laughs> you know, that was maybe just my school. Um, but you, you, it's perhaps, so Jesus is doing this. He's holding up the least likely to be deemed as faithful as the faithful one. But to me, perhaps the most interesting thing about the way Jesus addresses this is that he doesn't actually answer the question. What's the question the guy asks? Who is my neighbor? Does Jesus answer that? No. He actually addresses it through another question of how to be a neighbor. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man? I think that's fascinating. Oh, you're asking all these questions, and Jesus is moving you. Oh, you're saying the right things. You're asking good questions. But how do you get to this point where you actually do something? Fascinating. How do you be that? The guy knows. He says, ah, it's the one that's shown mercy. And Jesus says, okay, go do it. And tied in with what he says previously, we know that if you actually embrace that way, the kingdom way, you will then experience this thing called life. And it seems like, from Jesus' promise, that when you embrace those ways, you actually experience joy. So Jesus is trying to move them across this, this, this kind of chasm that many of us live in many times. Because, again, you can ask all the, all the questions And that way you're accountable for nothing. Or you actually embrace what we say we believe, which is a mantra that we've had from day one of Colossae. We want to embrace what we already know. Look, we always have questions. We always have um, doubts. But at some point, we do know some stuff, and we have to live into it and embrace it. And, and, and this, is, this is a critical piece because, um, well, it's important. But just to make sure we don't get it twisted and thinking about living the kingdom life is about keeping ourselves hurried and doing all the right stuff, I want to end our study today with how Luke ends chapter 10. Because Jesus in this section with the lawyer is getting to way deeper than actions and behaviors. He's actually getting to the heart of who they love and how they direct love and mercy. And Luke, thankfully, adds this story in here to kind of, for lack of better terms, to maybe balance us a little bit. From thinking about the Christian life as like... being busy watch this verse 38 now as they went on their way jesus entered a village and a woman named martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet and listened to his teaching but martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone Tell her then to help me. That's fascinating, isn't it? Jesus, would you tell her to help me? (laughs) That's fascinating. Tell her her to help me. Because I'm busy here. Here's what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The question is, is what did Mary choose? Hurry? Busy? He just chose to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, that's the good portion. That's the portion that nobody can take away from us. And this, again, keeps us in the heart of things because it's so funny how we can slip into the trap of hurry and then under the umbrella of accomplishment do things for God and yet miss union with Him. To show acts of mercy, all this, but our love for God doesn't bring us to union. We get it confused and it turns into behaviors and actions. And I think we can talk practically about this for just a couple minutes because how to see this difference. And I'll, I'll just share a couple things, ways that I've worded things in my life that I think reveal a deeper issue within myself. So, for instance, I have said things um, like a phrase in the past. and There's nothing wrong with the phrase, but for me, it's, uh comes from an unhealthy place, actually. And the phrase is... I want to do this for God. Or I want to do this for the sake of the kingdom. And for me, that insight, if I really prayerfully consider that statement, it's action-oriented, not love-driven. And I can fall into the trap of doing things for the sake of the kingdom or for God. Where, for me, again, maybe not you, but for me, that Language is attached to kind of um, (laughs) the Pharisee understanding. Where I've found myself saying another phrase at times, and I've realized it comes from a much better, healthier place, and that is, we want to do this because of God. That, for me at least, is comes from a place of being motivated by the love of God versus my actions trying to get the love of God. Does that make sense? So trying to do things for God or doing things because of God, that comes from a different place. And, and for me, as I look back, it's when I have been motivated by God's love that I actually am the most free. It's when I'm the most free. When I I look back, and I probably don't remember all of them, but I can name a lot of them, when I have moved outward towards people because of the love of God, those moments, uh, for me, I have the most joy in those moments of anything. And the beauty about those moments is that there's a lot of things in my life I could lose. But nobody can take those moments away. Because for those moments, I was with God and I was moved, I was compelled, I was motivated by Him. In those moments, I can, reckon, I can, I can resonate with what Jesus is saying. That's a good portion that's what nobody can take away. That's true life. And so here, here's what I would say. We're, we want to do a bunch of things as a church. Like, we hope to do a ton of things in the city. We we want to invite people into that. We have mechanisms to do that. We're a young church here. There's a lot we want to do. But let me just say this. Like At the core, all we want to do have union with God for so long Christians have talked about salvation as like being with God for all eternity when we die the truth is the beauty is is that salvation means be with God today that's the beauty that's the beauty of walking with Jesus That's at the core of true life and true joy as Jesus promises as we embrace his ways. And so this is where we come to the tables. The table is communion. It's where we have a celebration of our union with Jesus and God today. It's where we take the bread and dip it and we remember the fact that God is good he is loving. He is a self-giving God who has given his son to us. And so as we take that, I just encourage you to remember like passages like 2 Corinthians five, fourteen, where Paul says it's the love of Christ that compels us. And so the table's open. You come and, and if this is your church you and give too, but take the elements. And would you just take a moment? To just be with God. Like, be there. Thank Him for giving Himself to you. That's what He's done. And maybe you can also take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to have that love be your motivation. Oh, let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, we're so grateful for your goodness, for your love. Jesus, we look to you as the perfect expression of that love. And we see your ways, the kingdom ways, of how your goodness and your love has gone into the broken areas of our own lives. And we've seen the beauty of that. And as people that are exposed to that, we want to follow your ways. Lean more into that good news and continue forward. But we don't want to do it out of actions or behaviors. We want to do it of a place where we're motivated by you, God. That our union with you would move us outward. God, in this time as we sing, Father, as we take this bread and dip in the, the juice, remember you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, as we come in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would meet us where we are and that you would motivate us outward from who you are. We love you. We come to you in this time in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.